Okay, so here's a review question, not from last week, uh, but I've asked this question a couple of times, so let's see, uh, maybe this reflects more on me than it does on you as a teacher. Do you remember which miracle, and there's only one, which miracle is found in all four gospel accounts? Now, we have a lot of miracles that are found in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But which one is the only one outside of Jesus' resurrection? So let me, you know, uh, be more specific. The, the miracle that Jesus himself worked that is found in all four Gospels. Hmm. I give you a hint. Are you, are you, is your Bible open to John chapter 6? Feeding of the 5,000. That's right. Feeding of the 5,000. Only this one. And so that means that it's, it must be pretty important, right? A pivotal to the story of Jesus. And even though Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all look at Jesus and what he did in bringing the good news of, of salvation from a slightly different perspective, all four saw fit to include this miracle. And I think you can make the case that they all had a slightly different point that they were trying to make from their perspective, but all four said, you need to know that Jesus did this. And so what I'd like to start with, before we get into Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, John saw fit to put that uh, account right after Jesus feeds these 5,000. It happened on the next day. But John is the only one who includes this sermon that Jesus preaches where he says, I am the bread of life. And so to understand correctly what Jesus is saying and the point that he's making, I think we have to see what he did the day before with this great miracle. So let's read together, beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, or Lake of Tiberias, as the Romans sometimes called it. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus lifted, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, uh, Matthew says it was evening time in a deserted place. Uh, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that, even, that every one of them may have even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Uh, may I suggest that Andrew shows a little bit of faith here in even bringing this up, right? I mean, he conditions it. He says, I know it's not really going to help, but there is a boy here who has some fish and some bread. Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. Uh, you think about that. 
uh, for some of you parents, there were teenage boys there. And everybody got as much as they wanted. And not just that much. So when they were all filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with just the crumbs, the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The prophet who has come into the world. No doubt they had in their mind what happened at the end of the fifth chapter where Jesus says in verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And Moses prophesied. He testified and said, God's going to raise up a prophet who is like me. And this one that is raised up that is like Moses, they, they knew as the prophet. Um, now probably some among the Jews saw the prophet and the Messiah, the Christ, as complementary figures. Others understood correctly that this would have been the same figure. But they said to themselves, well, maybe this is the prophet. Maybe this is the one Moses was talking about. And so if we see that and understand that, I think it's helpful to us in the request that is made of Jesus when he's ultimately going to say, I am the bread of life. They ask him to produce manna, as God did in the wilderness, as we'll read here in just a second. What is that account of the feeding of the 5,000? Just in basic terms, what do you think that's intended to teach us? I mean, this is important in all four Gospels. So in the most basic of terms, what do you think it's supposed to teach us? Okay. He can do things that we don't think are possible, right? Jesus is able to do things that, that we don't think are possible. Well, all of his miracles show that, and this certainly shows that as well. So specifically, in feeding 5,000 who were hungry in a deserted place, what do you think that's supposed to teach us about what he can do uh, that we wouldn't expect? He can supply all of our needs. Uh, it's interesting in Luke's account, Luke places this right after the return of the disciples from their limited commission. And do you remember what Jesus uh, commanded his disciples to take on that limited commission? Do you remember? That's it. Nothing. Don't take anything. I'm going to provide for everything that you need when you go out. And now more generally, this great multitude is taught the same lesson. If you have needs, Jesus can provide for those needs. He can provide for any of those needs. Whatever need you have, Jesus can provide for it. Uh, Chumley, in his commentary on Matthew, puts it this way. No matter how barren the situation in which we find ourselves, and no matter how impoverished our resources, Christ can meet our deepest need. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, he's saying, I can provide for your needs. The feeding of the 5,000 
tells us and gives us a context for when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He is saying that I can provide for your needs. You need bread? I can provide bread. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are our needs? And even more, as Chumley said, what are our deepest needs? What was it that Jesus really came to provide while He was on earth, at least primarily? Where was Jesus' focus in regard to what it was He was providing? And where should our focus be in regard to seeing that our needs are met? Well, that's what Jesus' sermon and His statement, I am the bread of life, are really all about. We, We see, beginning in verse 15, that Jesus comes to His apostles on the sea and He comes walking on the water, And they're afraid. And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. And and immediately they arrive on the shore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 22, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? He says you need to work, you need to labor, same word. You need to work for the food which... Do not labor for the food which perishes, but work for the food which endures to everlasting life. And they say, okay, well, what work do we need to do? And Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Did they believe in Him whom God had sent? Now, think about that. Did they believe? Yes, they did believe. Raise your hand. No, they didn't believe. Raise your hand. It's a trick question. They kind of did believe and kind of didn't believe. Raise your hand. I got two hands back there. Yes. Uh, Did they believe that Jesus could be the prophet? Yeah, they, they said that, right? Did they believe that Jesus was a miracle worker? Did they believe that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher? I mean, they call him that, right? But did they really believe and understand who Jesus truly was? As the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, as God in the flesh? I don't believe that they did. And certainly the majority of them did not believe that. And so, what does he say next? Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do 
Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. Uh, That's like the Samaritan woman at the well that we've already read about in the Gospel of John. She's like, hey, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. And He says, If you would have known who you were talking to, you could ask me and I would give you living water. And she says, man, that sounds great. Give me this water. I won't have to come back to this well. But Jesus wasn't talking about water. Not really. And Jesus isn't talking about bread in a physical sense. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Hmm. So the next day, after feeding these people, the very next day, Jesus gives this sermon, and we're going to read more here in just a little bit. Uh, It gets uh, tougher from there for these people. And he contrasts the bread of life with what? We already read earlier, 25 through 27. Bread of life, you're never going to hunger, with what? Uh, Physical food, right? Uh, Do not labor for the food which perishes. Physical bread. So he makes that contrast there. And Jesus fed the 5,000 because they were hungry and they were seeking spiritual things. When spiritual things were most important to them, Jesus says, well, I'll feed you, sure, if that's what you're coming to seek. But when they refused to make spiritual things the most important thing, when they came for the purpose of eating, they say, you know, Moses gave us manna. That sounds pretty good to us. When physical things were most important to them, Jesus would not feed them in a physical sense. And Jesus' purpose, and the gospel's purpose, and the church's purpose, isn't physical, but spiritual primarily. And the feeding of the 5,000 is the perfect illustration of this. When they came seeking healing and teaching from a prophet, he was happy to provide for their physical needs. But when they came seeking a free meal, he wasn't going to do that. And the reason why is he didn't want to conflate those two things. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put three minutes on the board. I want you to look through chapter 6. What we've already read will be easy to think about. Uh, But then go through the end of the chapter as well that we'll read here in just a second. Your assignment, should you choose to accept it, and I mean, why are you here if you're not going to accept it, right? Your assignment is, where did the people show that they had an emphasis on the physical? Where did they show that they were thinking about physical things and not spiritual things in the text? Okay, So go through the text of chapter 6, see what you can come up with to say this shows that they were thinking physical, that physical was more important to them, and they didn't have a mind towards spiritual things. Okay, That's your assignment. I'm going to give you three minutes to do that. Let's see if this works. Hey, there we go. Three minutes.
If you're at home joining us online, do the same thing, please. Okay, time's up. Here's what I want you to do now. Uh, you're all sitting kind of sort of around somebody, either beside you or behind you or in front of you. I want you to take a couple of minutes, and with those who are right there next to you, you just share a couple, and the person around you, they share a couple different ones that you found where they have an emphasis on the physical. Okay? That was the quiet portion of the assignment. This is the loud portion of the assignment. So you can speak to one another. If there's somebody around you who you realize, hey, they hadn't said anything, look at that person and stare at them awkwardly until they share something with you. <laughs> Learning. Learning's taking place. This is the most participation I've ever had in an auditorium class. go through these more or less uh, in order that they appear in the text. Uh, it's okay if we jump around a little bit, but it's, I think it would be helpful to kind of keep things in order. Um, it would certainly be helpful to me so we can try and get as many of these as we can. Okay, so he feeds the 5,000. So what's the next thing you see that says, well, maybe they're too focused on the physical and not focused enough on the spiritual? What do you think? 
15, several people said verse 15, they're going to take him by force and make him what? King. Make him king. Even, even before he fell, uh, they were following him because he was healing the sick. Oh, very good. So they were following him, and the primary reason for that was because he was healing the sick, right? Physical ailments. That's back in, was that one or two? Verse two, okay? But to be fair, you said that precedence that we start with after feeding the 5,000. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> settle down. Okay, no, don't settle down. This is great. Um, so, they're going to make him a king, right? And what does he do? He leaves. He has no interest in that. This is the most popular Jesus is ever going to be in his ministry. This is about a year before he's crucified. And he rejects the idea of becoming a king. And hear me clearly. Jesus did not come to this earth to change the political systems of this earth. He had every opportunity to do that. He had every opportunity to establish a kingdom here. You know what he came to change? He came to change people and our hearts and to set up his kingdom. And if those people whose hearts are changed change the political system and political environment of the countries in which they live, then well and good. But it has always been and is now and will always be secondary to Jesus' purpose. And if we're all consumed with the politics of America or any other country, we don't have the same purpose as Jesus and we're supposed to imitate him. Can I say that any more clearly? I can, but then I'd really get in trouble. Okay? All right, what next? Where else were they focused on the physical? 26, they were seeking to find him for another meal. 25 and 26. 25 and 26, because they were what? They sought him just to find another meal. Yeah, they're seeking a meal, right? Uh, we want to be fed by you in a physical sort of sense, right? Okay, what else? Um, anything before that? Anybody have anything between 15 and 25, 26? Hmm. That must be something because I left a little blank there. Hmm, let's see. Uh, when he came walking on the water, what did the disciples do? What was their reaction? Fear. Fear. They were afraid. And you know what Mark tells us? Uh, Mark in his account says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 52, For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. What Mark says is, if they had really comprehended what Jesus did in feeding the 5,000, they wouldn't have been afraid. I've never seen anybody walk on the water before, but Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's all those things. So why should I be afraid about that? And yet physical things distracted them, and they were afraid, okay? All right, very good. I would even say that there's one more in between. What do they call him when Jesus comes? What word do they use for him? Rabbi. Rabbi, which means teacher. Is that what Jesus was? <laughs> yes. Is that all Jesus was? No, they just thought he was another teacher like all these other guys, right? Okay, so they're missing. There's something greater here. Okay, what else? Uh, yes, they came and they're seeking food from him. What else? Yes. Oh, we're raising hands. Yes, sir. I have a question. Oh, a question. Who's the day? I 
thought we were talking about the people, not about the disciples. Well, the disciples were part of the people, right? Well, I understand that, but the, the disciples are in the boat is different from the other in my mind. Okay. okay. got me confused when you put that up there. All right, I'll, I'll mark it out. Let me okay. All right, the disciples, the disciples are just followers, right? Okay. All right, so what else? They're seeking a meal. Verse 30, they're seeking a sign. Oh, good, they're seeking a sign, right? Hey, give us a sign. Oh, that's very good. It's interesting to me, they come and they say to Jesus, you know, where'd you come from? Like, hey, man, how'd you make it over here? And Jesus doesn't say, hey, that's very good. You must know that I have some power in me. I, I really think it's almost like Jesus was a sideshow to them. He's like, hey, this is cool. What's he going to do next? You know, he's like, no, 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 no. You're not here just to be like entertained by me. I mean, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for something greater than that, right? So they're seeking a sign when he's already, well, I mean, what's he already done? He's already healed everybody who came to him with diseases and cast out demons. And he's fed 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And he's like, you, you don't need another sign. You've had all the signs you need. Okay, what else? Verse 48. I think it works. They were seeking they thought was physical. Okay, so physical works. All right, how can we fulfill it? Like the law of Moses? An example of the sign, just like Moses did. Give us some physical bread. Okay, what else? See anything else? We continue in the text. 42. Okay, 42. Jesus the son of Joseph. Yeah. You know, he starts saying some really awkward, difficult things. They're like, who does this guy think he is? He's just the son of Joseph. Not the son of God. He's just Joseph's son. I mean, we know this guy. And yet here he is, and they were they were focused on that physical heritage. What else? Forty one talks about that too. They begin to murmur, griping about he'll be in the bread of life. Murmur. I don't know how to spell murmur. Just M period. Okay, M period. Murmur. I think some translations say complain. Grumble. Okay. What else? Yeah, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? What? Um, and so, what do they say about that? This is a what? Oh, that's, that's a hard saying. Hmm. Which is their way of saying, not to read too much into it, their way of saying, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. Who can, what do they say? Say what? Who can listen to it? Who can listen to that? Uh, that word for listen to it right there, it's a Greek word. Who can hear it can also mean accept it. Um, it can also mean obey it. I mean, that's a tough saying. I don't really want to hear and accept and obey that, right? Okay? Now, did they think Jesus was literally saying, you know, you got to cannibalize me physically? You know, obviously not. They understood that this was not literal, but at the same time, they 
They couldn't get out of a physical framework to try and understand what Jesus was really saying. Okay? Anything else that shows physical? What was the reaction, the ultimate reaction after all of this? Many of what? Is disciples left. Um, New King James says, went back or drew back, um, went away and walked with him no more. They didn't follow after him. Um, so they're focused on all these physical things. And Jesus' response was this sermon that he preaches. Um, and it is, it is difficult. Um, you know, I think many churches could learn a lesson from what Jesus does here at the height of his popularity. Many walked with him no longer. Providing for people's physical needs and wants without providing for their spiritual needs accomplishes nothing. That popularity changed when Jesus gave this bread of life discourse. And here's what he said. This is beginning in verse 37. Let's read together. All that the Father gives will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. They complained because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, hey, this is Joseph's son. We know his father and his mother. How can he say this? And he says, verse 43, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And how does the Father draw us? It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God, for everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We hear what it is that is in the Word of God, we learn from it, and we come to Him. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. He's going to say that several times. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Do Christians die? Yes. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, that I shall, uh, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. That's what he's about to do. He's going to give himself for the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Oh, you don't understand. I, I'm not saying you really have to eat my flesh. Like, like how could you get that out? No, let, let me explain more to you what I mean by that. No, instead he doubles down. He says, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. 
would that have been offensive to the Jews? I mean, they didn't drink the blood of anything. In fact, they couldn't even eat meat that had any blood left in it. And Jesus says, you've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That means that we have to assimilate Christ. We have to consume him to such a degree that we are like him. That Christ lives in us because we seek to know and hear and imitate him in all that we do. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Have we had bells? We're fixing to. Okay. What a shame. Uh, I want you to mark your spot there. Abides in me and I in him. We get a little uh, context in eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We have to be like on chapter 3 and verse 24. John, same writer, uses the same phrase. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. Chapter 4 of the same book and verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now this is not an exhaustive list, but what does it look like to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood? It means that we take on his characteristics. We obey his commands. We confess him with our lips and with our lives. We love as God loved us. When we live in that way, then that means that we're eating the bread that comes from heaven. Verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Wow. I mean, Jesus challenges them there, doesn't he? Shouldn't we be just as challenged? Don't we get just as focused on the physical as they did? We could characterize all of these things here, and we could give examples in our own lives where we say, I was too focused and concerned on the physical and not concerned enough for the spiritual. If we're going to eat the bread of life, we're going to have to change our focus. Jesus says in verse 63, well, he says, does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? I'm sorry. What then if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? There's something more offensive that's coming. I'm going to die on a cross. Then he says, verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The spiritual is where we have life. The flesh 
from an eternal standpoint, it profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. We need to hear them, and we need to consume them. I am the bread of life. Jesus provides the source of eternal life. So we need to come to Him and seek Him. And as Peter says at the end of this chapter, when Jesus asks, do you also want to go away? There's the door, He says. Remember what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, verse 69, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the I Am. We believe it. And though Peter didn't live it perfectly, he was willing to follow Jesus wherever he went. And I pray that we look at Jesus as the bread of life. And because of that, we focus on the spiritual, as he called them, and he's, as he calls us to do. Thank you for your good attention tonight.